Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. As you find your seat, you can open up your word to Revelation chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. And, uh, and he is bigger than you think he is. You agree with that? Say, I do. If you don't agree with that, you are confused. He's bigger than you think. He's bigger than you can comprehend, bigger than you can know, bigger than you can describe. He's bigger than words we have to express. He's bigger than you know. And that God who is so much bigger than anything you can imagine, for some reason, has chosen to love you and me. And he doesn't just love us from a distance. He wants to come into our world and he wants to use you and use me and use us as a church to impact the world. You see, God is on a rescue mission to save people from their sinful condition. And he does it through Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection. And he desires to include you. Now, I just think that is remarkably cool that God would choose to use somebody like me and somebody like you. And yet, he does. Now, in Revelation, we're, we're looking at it as it unfolds in the future. It's going to be this, uh, we're, we're in the tribulation period now, which are the seven worst years this globe has ever experienced. Jesus himself said, days like this world has never known. And so we saw the church has been removed in the beginning of, of chapter 4. It has been raptured. And then shortly after that, the trumpets begin to blow and the judgments unfold. We saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse begin to bring calamity, death, and destruction upon this world. And then we see God calling out once again with grace. He says, I'm going to call out and seal 140 4,000 Jewish men, 12,000 from each tribe who are going to be missionaries or evangelists. And they are going to proclaim the gospel even in the middle of this terrible day called the Great Tribulation. Now, in the middle of that, we see that there's a bunch of people that get saved even after the rapture of the church in the middle of the tribulation. So many that John says they were innumerable. I could not count them. Now the only problem with being saved after Jesus removes the church is that these people will be martyred or murdered for their testimony because of the Word of God. And that's what the Bible tells us. Now there's a mass that gets saved and then we move into chapter 10 and it's kind of like the grace is over. Last week we saw an angel, a representative comes to this earth, he plants his feet on land and on water, and he says, enough is enough. Now you're getting ready to experience what real wrath looks like. As if the first three and a half years didn't look bad enough, the second three and a half years, the second half is going to be like unbelievable. It's going to be absolutely horrific uh, for those who are left here. Now, we begin chapter 11 with something that's a little bit unusual, a peculiar command given to John. So I want to address it before we get into the actual message. And it's this, it says in verse 1 and 2, then a measuring rod like a staff was given to me, and I was told, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and the ones who worship there. But do not measure the outer courtyard of the temple, leave it out, because it has been given to the Gentiles 
and they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Now, let me just explain what he says. He says, I want you to, to measure the temple, okay? Now, why is this such a peculiar command? Here it is. There is no temple. You see, in 70 AD, in the first century, the, the, the temple was destroyed. It was burned to the ground, and it has never been rebuilt. And so John is given an instruction, take this reed, this measuring stick, and go measure the temple. There's no temple. Not only is there no temple, the place where the temple is supposed to be is occupied by a Muslim mosque. It's called the Dome of the Rock. So a lot of things supernatural have to happen for John to be able to even measure the temple. Now let me tell you something else that's really amazing about the temple. When Jesus was alive, he was with his disciples, and they were leaving the temple, and they were questioning him about the buildings. And Jesus turned to them, and he says, listen, what you see won't always be this way. In fact, there won't be a stone left unturned in this temple. He told them it's going to be completely and utterly destroyed. Now, they didn't know what he was talking about. But in 70 AD, when the fire came, all of the, 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 the uh, furniture in the temple, much of it was laved or covered in sheets of gold. And then there was a treasure of gold in the temple. And when it burned, that gold melted. And when it melted, it ran in between the stones of the foundation of the temple. So shortly after it burned, gold diggers went onto the temple mount and they pried the stones apart to get the fragments of gold from in between the stones. So when Jesus said, there won't be a stone left unturned, he knew what was going on when they didn't get it. You see, that whole song about he's bigger than you thought he is, it's real, okay? And Jesus is God, and he knew what God knew because he, he and the Father and the Spirit are one, and he told them that. Now, now John doesn't get it. He just knows he's been given an instruction. And so knowing that, now he says, um, now he says, I'm going to send two witnesses. Now, the timing of it is peculiar. It's in the middle of the tribulation. We're waiting for the seventh trumpet with the rest of the judgment. So right in the middle, 42 months, 1260 days, three and a half years, things are going to change for the worse. Two witnesses show up. And the title of today's message is, It Comes with the Territory. Now, anything that God has purposed gifted, called you to do, comes. There's things that just come with the territory. You, you may be a, a home builder. You may be a doctor. You may be a lawyer, a school teacher. You may be a nurse. You may be a banker. You may be a salesman. You may be a mother. Whatever it is that God has purposed and called you to do, it comes with things that just simply come with the territory. And, and sometimes people think whatever your occupation is, it's the best occupation. I remember when I was in construction, I, I was building a, an eye clinic, and I was standing out by the, my truck with the plans laid out. I was talking on the phone. And a friend of mine calls me. He says, I said, what's up, bro? He said, I sure wish I had your job. I said, no, you don't. He didn't know. If you're in construction, man, it's got some garbage you got to deal with. And, and what about a school teacher? Everybody thinks a school teacher has the best job in the world. Why? They teach partial days to get a planning period. They work about eight months out of the year. They get off in the summer and Christmas. I'm kidding, Kendra. Take it easy. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Was just saw it right there. Okay? Everybody thinks te teachers got it made. 
They may have had it made when chewing chewing gum was the problem in the schools. Today, that is the, one of the hardest positions, occupations on the planet. And we should revere those who are willing to sit and teach your kids. Amen, Amen Brother Joe. Now, okay, well, what about this one? The preacher's job. I mean, that's a cushy little job. He just works a couple hours a week when he preaches. Okay, you shut up. Okay? It is not true. Okay? And no matter what job, responsibility, occupation, the thing that God places you here to do, no matter what it is, it's going to come with these things that we call things that come with the territory. Now, I've got good news for you, though. There's some things that God calls you to do, and those things that come with the territory actually enable and empower you to accomplish what he's called you to do. So today we're going to be introduced to two new figures in God's prophetic uh, revelation, and they're called the two witnesses. And so, first of all, I want you to know a witness is an eyewitness, a firsthand, who has a firsthand recollection or testimony of reality. It, it is one who has an open profession of one's religious faith through words or actions. It is one who has knowledge of an event or a change from a personal observation or experience. That's what a witness is, okay? Now, I also want you to know that just like in the legal system today, if, if you're going to be a witness, your lawyers are going to coach you a little bit and prep you a little bit to be a witness. They're going to kind of tell you what to expect. They're going to kind of help you go through your testimony, through your witness, to help you do well when you get the opportunity to witness. Well, God has done the same thing. He wants to develop you as a witness. And just like today, we're going to see two witnesses who have a very particular job to witness. And you also have a very particular job to witness. Although theirs is different than yours, you have a, an obligation to be a witness. And so we're going to talk about that today. So I want you right now to look at your neighbor and say, if you follow Jesus, you are a witness. And now I want you to ask him a question. Are you a good one or a bad one? Now, isn't it easier to ask somebody else those questions? Isn't it easier to tell somebody, yeah, you follow Jesus, you're supposed to be a witness. Ha, ah, okay. That's easier, okay. Isn't it easy to say, um, well, are you a good one or a bad one, you know? Okay, so, so, so I'm telling everybody in here, if you follow Jesus, you are called to be a witness. And I'm asking you a question, hoping the Holy Spirit penetrates your heart and your soul and gives you the right answer, not your gray matter answer compared to somebody else's answer. It's this, are you a good one or are you a bad one? <laughs> so I wasn't picking on anybody. Are you a good one or are you a bad one? Okay. The question deserves an answer. So it comes with the territory. We want to look today at the five marks of a witness for Christ. The five marks of witness for Christ. Mark number one on the back of your worship guide is this. A prophecy with profound repercussions. A prophecy with profound repercussions. It says in verse 3 of chapter 11 of Revelation, it says, And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy. 1260 days. That's 42 months. 
That's the second three and a half years of the great seven-year tribulation. They will be dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. Who are these guys? You ever heard of the two witnesses? Most of us have. Who are they? I'll be honest with you. We don't know. We can speculate. We can conjure some ideas up, but we really don't know. Most people, many people would argue that it's Moses and Elijah. Why? Because they showed up at the transfiguration. Others, which I kind of believe, it is that it is Enoch and Elijah. Why? Because they never tasted death. Enoch walked with God and was no more. That's cool. You just walking with God and then gone. Okay. He didn't die. And then Elijah, man, he got a good passageway out of here. The Bible says that a fiery chariot pulled by fiery horses hauled him out of here. Now, I just think that's cool. If, if God said, Joel, I'm going to call you home. How do you want to go? I, I kind of like the fiery chariot and the horses. I just think that's cool. Okay. They didn't die. So I believe they come back as the witnesses. It could be someone else. But I believe that may be who it is. Now, it says these two witnesses are given the ability, the authority to prophesy. The authority to prophesy. Now, now let me talk about prophecy a little bit. There's two kinds of prophecy in God's word. There's the word prophesy, which means to foretell the future. There's the word prophesy, which means to foretell. The difference is a foreteller is someone who knows the future. A foreteller is someone who proclaims truth that's already been declared in God's word. Now, to be, I believe I have the gift, which it is a spiritual gift. I believe I have the spiritual gift of prophecy. I do not have the gift to foretell the future. I wish I did. Because if I knew what the future was, I would know what the winning lotto number is. I would leave here, go to Weigel's and get that number, and we would start our new building this week. Okay? I don't have that gift, and neither do you. You don't know the future. The only thing God wants you to know about the future is what he's already revealed in this book of all time. Okay? So, so, so often people want to foretell, want to predict future things. It's risky and demonic. It's risky on a good day, demonic on a bad day. So be very careful. It's, it's why I used to laugh about when I was in Georgia, there was all these little palm reader places, you know, and you could pull in there and give them $5 and Madam Lulu or whoever would tell you your future, you know. And I never understood why she was still in a single wide trailer. You know, nothing wrong, single wide trailer. I just didn't get why she wasn't in something much larger, maybe downtown, you know. Um, and so, so foretelling, future telling is, is, is something that I am very skeptical of, and I think you should be too. But forth telling to proclaim with boldness what God has already said is something that quite honestly, many of us, if not all of us, at some level are called to do. And so, so, if I, these two witness were, witnesses were given the authority to prophesy, they were given something special, man, something special. And I just want to bring it down to home, not some future event, something right now. You're called to prophesy. You're called to be a witness. 
You're called to share something supernaturally great. And what is it? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest story, the greatest um, message ever given to from and to anyone is the gospel of Jesus. Why is it such a great prophecy? Why is it such a great message in it? It changes a sinner to a saint. It changes someone from lost to found. It changes eternal destinations from hell to heaven. It delivers a person from death into life. It changes a person's status from a child of the devil to a child of the king. And believers, listen to me, church. You carry this truth in your heart and in your mind and in this book. And I want you to know, here we go. If you don't share the gospel, if you never share the story of God touching your life, I'm going to be candid and blatantly honest. You're living an unbiblical life. If you're saved, you're a witness. The question is, are you a good one or are you a bad one? And I want to invite us all to be good ones, okay? I want us all to be good, good witnesses. And God has given you, God has given you a wonderful prophecy, and he's given you the authority to share it. Often what we do is we just refuse to go there because we're uncomfortable with what's out there. Let me encourage you, and I'll show you in just a minute. If you will engage in what God has called you to do and be the witness he's made you, delivered you to be, he's waiting for you out there in that circle of the unknown. He's just waiting for you to get there. And as soon as you step into there, and he's going to give it to you. Now watch this. Watch what happens. I'll show you what I mean. The second thing I want you to see, Mark number two, is you have a protection with no exclusions. A protection with no exclusions. Listen to what it says in verse 5. It says, if anyone wants to harm them, fire comes out of their mouths and completely consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, they must be killed this way. Well, I just think that's cool. How, how about if when you shared the gospel, okay, and somebody didn't want to hear it, and they wanted to get buck and get up in your face, maybe give you the number one sign and say, take that garbage, get out of my face. You just breathe some holy halitosis on them, holy halitosis, and they was consumed by fire. Well, wouldn't that be cool? I think y'all like the idea of that way too much. We're people of grace and mercy, okay? No, we don't want to consume them with fire. But these guys, we don't know if it's literal fire or just the words come out of their mouth and it just beats, gives them the beat down right in their place. But I have been in that place where in, in love, I'm, I mean, I'm burdened about somebody and I share the gospel with them. And man, they just look at me and say, you can take that story, take it somewhere else because I don't want to hear it. You ever been there? You ever been there? I want you to know that when, when God calls you to be a witness, and he has, you have a protection that is without exclusions. Now, let, let me tell you what I mean about protection without exclusions. I, I would encourage you, kind of, to take a real close look at your, at your insurance policies for your home, for your car, for your health. Maybe you've bought an extended warranty on your vehicle. Take a close look at that. When you finish reading it, it will almost seem like the exclusions are greater than the inclusions. 
It's almost like, why am I paying for this? I got nothing. I mean, sure, if, you know, if I run over somebody, I'm protected. Or, you know, there's certain things that are included, but there's many, many exclusions. It's like I'm really not that protected. It's a little bit eerie. Well, I want you to know when God calls you to witness, you're protected without exclusions. Your policy simply says, I have your back. Now, now don't get me wrong. There's, there's things that are going to happen in your life that it doesn't seem like you were protected. Let me just ask a question. Ha, have you had things happen in your life that was like a curveball from God? I mean, it, it, you didn't see it coming. You didn't want it. And really, you're really struggling seeing how it could align itself with the reality that there's a God who loves me infinitely. You know what I'm talking about? Those things that you just don't get. And, but I just said you, are, you have protection without exclusion. Well, what does that look like? Well, there's an answer. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. What's our first response to that? No. Consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you come into trials. When things come into your life that you just really don't like, just consider it all joy. So the next time something terrible happens, you just smile and say, man, Jesus, this is so good. I love it. Okay? That's what he's saying to do. And we don't do that well. We don't do it well at all. He goes on. He says, why should we do this? He says, because this is why you should do it. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. He, he says, you, you, I have a plan for me if you will let me activate it in your life. When the good things come, why is it so often when something bad happens, we say, why is this happening to me? God, you know, you do. I do. And yet all of those days and seasons and things where God just blesses your stinking socks off, we're not standing there saying, God, why is everything going so good in my life? Maybe you do. No, you don't. That'd be a lie. Okay. We should. We should every day say, God, why did you give me another day? Oh, I guess you got something big in store because you're bigger than I think. Let's go for it. But instead, we just go through life in the good, and we, we don't give him the glory and the praise for that. And yet when something bad happens, we immediately throw it at God, right? And all the while, God is saying, I allow in my sovereignty, in my omniscience, I allow things that are uncomfortable, things that you wouldn't design for yourself with a purpose to mold you and make you and conform you into the image of Christ, in the early service, I was reminded of my little grandson, who's, who's, who's awesome, and, and his favorite toy on the whole planet is Play-Doh. I mean, Play-Doh. Up in the playroom, we had some spare carpets, these, some remnants, we just, so we laid it in the playroom, because we know it's going to get destroyed. So he calls that, he says, Papa, let's go to the two carpets room and play with Play-Doh. I said, okay, let's go play with some Play-Doh. All right. He is not content having five different colors of Plato. He wants them all to be merged into this tealish brown, nasty color. Okay? And, and here's the thing about Plato. He'll give it to me. He'll say, Papa, don't gush it. Woll it up. 
And what he means is don't squish it, roll it up. And he'll say, I gush it, you roll it up. So what he does, he hands me this Play-Doh, and he, it's all gushed, okay? And he wants me to roll it up, and I roll it around in my hand. If I'm rolling slow, he'll say, roll it fast, Popo. So I'll roll it faster, and all of a sudden it'll be a nice little ball. And, and, and I'll say, is this okay? Yeah. What does he do? He goes over and he finds some toy laying around that he can just bury it in this Play-Doh. Just he gushes it all over that toy. Okay? Now, here's the thing. When you first get the Play-Doh out of a fresh can, it's, 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 it's got this nice homogenous color and it's just pliable and soft. And you can roll it. You can roll it in your hands and make a nice ball. But what he doesn't understand is after a while of getting that Play-Doh out over and over and over, it, it looks like this. And you cannot make this into a nice ball unless you really put some serious gush on it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you just squeeze the stew out of it and mash your fingers into it. And still, when you start rolling it around, here's what it will never make a smooth ball. It's this, and it's got crevices in it. That's what it, and when I hand it to him, it's like, because it's as good as Papa can do, I say, is this look okay? No, Papa, roll it some more. And I'll roll it, roll it, roll it. And if I think, okay, I'm going to mash it a little bit to get it to go, don't gush it. You know, roll it. Okay, I'm rolling. All right, so it looks like that. And, and you know what? It dawned on me. When God sends the trials in our life, often they begin when we're children. And we're pliable and moldable and soft. And man, we just, in the hands of a great God, he just molds us into something beautiful for his use. And then we start getting a little age on us. And we just kind of dry out. And we just kind of start pushing back. And we just kind of start not liking to be manipulated because we got it all figured out now. Our walk by faith is a little bit deluded. And we think we have it all figured out. And instead of looking like a pliable little ball, it looks like this. And to get you now where he wants you to be, he can no longer gently roll you in the palm of his hand. He has to gush you. And let me, let me just tell you what a gush looks like. It looks like scars here and here from knee surgery. Let me tell you what a gush looks like. It looks like a scar here from a back surgery. Let me tell you what a gush looks like. It looks like a scar here from a hernia. Let me tell you what a gush looks like. I got a whole list of gushes, okay, where God has had to gush me, squeeze me, instead of gently rolling me around in the palm of his hand. So I want, to know, I want you to know something. When God calls you to be a witness... He expects you to be his witness. I'm just saying, it's true. It's absolutely true, and I'll show you in a minute. When he calls you to be a witness, he expects you to be a witness. And if you think you're going to spend your whole life saying, yeah, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, but I ain't saying nothing about it to nobody, the pastor said, there's a day coming when he'll gush you, okay? And it's a whole lot easier to conform to a role than it is a gush. So, 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 so now moving forward, what does that mean? How, how, how do we respond to that? Well, God has said, uh, I'm going to do with you what I want to do with you, and you can conform, or you don't have to conform. And I want you to know the next thing that he does, after he, he protects you without exclusions, he gives you a power to get the job done. You see, God will never ask you to do something that he will not empower you to do first. Now, Mark chapter 3, 
Excuse me, Mark number 3 in Revelation eleven six 6 says there's a power to get the job done. Listen to what it says in verse 6. These two now, these witnesses, or you, put yourself in their shoes, they have the power to close up the sky so that it does not rain during the time they are prophesying. They have power to turn the waters to blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague whenever they want. And so you have been empowered to be a witness now let me tell you what it doesn't look like. You, 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 you probably won't be able to turn the water into blood. You probably won't be able to do signs and wonders and miracles. Why? Because even when Jesus was here, he did signs and wonders and miracles to prove he was who he was, not because he thought it would develop a big following. Because people will follow signs and wonders, and then when the one who delivers the signs and wonders have moved on, they forget from where they came. And so Jesus' following was pitiful when, when connected to his signs and wonders. God doesn't want you. He doesn't need you to perform a miracle. He doesn't need you to perform signs and wonders on his behalf. Why? Because he's God, he's bigger than you thought, and he is capable of performing miracles all by himself, and he does it every single day. The fact that we're here is a miracle of God. The fact that he gives us air to breathe and sustains our life is a miracle of God. The fact that you can go out and see the, 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 the galaxies above us is a miracle of God. The, ba- the fact that you can go look at the animal kingdom is a revelation of the miraculous nature of God. He, if you are lost today and, or anybody else and says, well, you know, if God would just prove he's real, <laughs> what, a, what foolishness is that? The Bible says to deny God is foolishness. And so for somebody to say, if I just had a big sign or a wonder, okay, he's given you a big sign. It's called creation. Okay. He's given you a big wonder. The fact that he has not killed you for shaking your fist at him already. Okay. He, he is d- demonstrating this every day. And so listen, all he's asking you, all he's asking me and you and you is to be a witness for him. And there's power already afforded so you can get the job done. You see, what we do is we say, well, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. Well, Jesus wasn't comfortable on the cross. Just chew on that, okay? I, I'm not comfortable telling my friends about Jesus. I, I'm not comfortable talking about religion with, at work. I'm not comfortable talking about these things, about just sharing the gospel. I, I'm just not comfortable. Why? Because you don't have the power to do it. And you will never on your own do it well. But when you walk into the power of the Holy Spirit that he has already given you, when you walk into that circle where the power already exists, he's waiting. In fact, he told his disciples, don't you worry about what you're supposed to answer. Don't you come up with some preconceived ideas for the answers to the questions that are coming. You just get there and the Holy Spirit will be there and he'll tell you what to say. So I'm just encouraging. Listen, I want you to know. Listen, listen to what it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, and unto the uttermost part of the world. And so he, he's offered the power. So what we do sometimes is we say, I don't feel the power. So I ain't, I ain't doing it. 
All the while, he's just looking for your submissive will. He's looking for your obedience. And the power will be waiting there when you step into that. And I want to tell you something, church. We can play church till Jesus comes back. We can look around at each other and say, yeah, I'm I'm saved. You're saved. Praise Jesus. We're saved. Okay, yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die. Hell has been, has been defeated on my behalf, and I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens me. And meanwhile, the whole world out there is lost and going to hell. And you say, they're not all lost and going to hell. Most of them are because the Bible said wide is the way to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to heaven. And so there's most of the people in our communities, even though we're in the Bible Belt, they're lost, and they're waiting for somebody like you who would be willing to say, I'm coloring outside the lines. I'm stepping into the power zone filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to be the witness that you've called me to be. You don't have to fabricate it. You just let him use you. And he will use you in a miraculous way. And so we have the power to get the job done. And he's just waiting. Mark number four of the witness is a persecution that can be expected. Listen to what it says in verse seven. It says, When they have completed their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss, that's the Antichrist, he will make war on them, the witnesses, and he will conquer them and kill them. Now you're thinking right now, wait a minute, you said there's protection without exclusions. There is. Hang on. It says, and their corpses will lie in the street of the great city that is symbolically called Sodom and Egypt, and where their Lord was also crucified for three and a half days. Those from every tribe, people, nation, language will look at the corpses because they will not permit them to be placed in a tomb. And those who live on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, even sending gifts to each other because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Now, he says, here's here's what's going to happen. Yeah, they got protection without exclusion, but now all of a sudden there's a persecution that they could expect and you can expect it too. And if somebody ever tells you that living a sold-out Christian life where Jesus is not just your Savior, but he's the Lord of your universe, all right? If anybody ever tells you that's easy, they're not telling you the truth. Because there's an enemy out there who hates when you're fully... He loves you when you're half committed. He loves you when you're lukewarm, apathetic, and miserable in your Christianity. And, and you, can, you can act religious and say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you do. Okay, that's where we stay, Okay. And he, he doesn't, he, he will leave you alone. But when you step into that power zone where the Holy Spirit says, let's change the world, the enemy is waiting. He is waiting. All right. And you have protection without exclusion. But what about this verse? It says, yeah, your protection, there was a hole in it. Okay. The enemy found the hole because he kills them. And not only do, do they die, They take their bodies and they lay them in the street and shame them and refuse to bury them. Why? So the whole world. Now keep in mind, when John wrote this, he didn't know about the internets. I heard that the other day like that. He didn't know about the internets. He didn't know about the satellites. He didn't know about any of that stuff. But God did. And he said, there's a day coming, man, where they're going to take these witnesses. They're going to shame them and murder them. They're going to lay them in the street. And for three and a half days, they're decaying flesh their detestable, stinky flesh will lay there in the street and the whole world will see that they don't, they don't, they're not who they said they were. Now, what do we do with something like that? Here's what we do. Here's the question. Have you ever tasted a little bit of persecution? 
Have you ever had a little bit of pushback when you live for Christ? Have you ever been made fun of for your testimony and for your life? Listen to me. If you've never been made fun of because of your Christian walk, it may be one of two reasons. One, you're just running with Christianity. There's, you're not allowing lost people to be in your life. Two, because you're living an, an unbiblical Christian life. You're so conformed to the world, they can't tell the difference. You're like a chameleon. You know what I mean? When I'm in church, man, I look Jesus-y. When I'm in the world, I look worldly. And for some reason, we buy into the idea that we can live in both worlds at the same time and be pleasing to the God who rescued us from that world and placed us in this world. And it's just the truth. We need to be about living over here even when it costs us something. And the sad truth in America, candidly, the sad truth in this church, our faith really doesn't cost us that much. We don't, we don't give sacrificially, financially, often. We don't give sacrificially that often with our tithe, excuse me, with our time. We don't give sacrificially as we should with our testimony. We just hold it all in and cruise through this life. Meanwhile, there's a world out there that is lost and going to hell. Now, sometimes persecution hurts. It can hurt you physically. It can hurt you spiritually. It can hurt you emotionally. Because the devil will do anything he can. And often he'll use people within the church to do it. I'll share, you, I'll share one with you that, because I don't want to go, I've been persecuted, I've had some persecution. Not like, not like the, the, the martyrs of the New Testament, the, the, the first century. I'll tell you a good one though, within the church, because it's kind of funny. Uh, our previous worship pastor was giving some lessons to uh, a, a boy in the church, his family here at the church. And, and he said, the little boy asked him a question, like a theology question. And John said, man, that's a good question. You ought to ask Pastor Joel. And he said, nah, I can't do that. And he said, why? <laughs> this little boy looked at him. He says, because he works for And John said, what are you talking about? He goes, the devil. <laughs> and John said, Pastor Joel doesn't work for the devil. He said, he said, no, he doesn't. He said, that's what my mom said. <laughs> yeah, you thought I didn't know about you, didn't you? Yeah, getting ready to point you out. Just kidding, okay? It wasn't anybody in here, okay? So I'm here to tell you this. When you take a stand for Jesus and when you push the envelope and you push back against the enemy, you can expect persecution. But I want to tell you something. Whenever there's persecution, in your life. That is when the Lord will develop you more than he ever will sitting in the comfort of a church seat. That is when he begins to mature you. That is when he begins to roll you around in the palm of his hands, making something special out of you, wanting to use you in a new way. In Matthew 5, verse 11, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, when people persecute you, when people say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, 
Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they'll persecute you. So you can expect it. The fifth mark of a witness for Jesus is a provision of something so much better. So here we have these witnesses. Man, they're dead. They're rotting corpses are laying in the street, and the whole world sees it. But see, God is not finished. And I want you to be careful to understand this, that in no matter where you're at, what circumstance or situation you're in, God's not finished. Even though things may seem to be over, God is not finished. And for you to call something finished that is not finished, you have decided rather than to live by the promises of God, you have decided to rather claim the lies of the enemy. I want you, I'm going to say that again because I want you to get it. When you stop, when you put an end to God's work in your life, you have chosen to set this down and to embrace the lies of the enemy instead of claiming the promises of his word. And let me tell you, church, something we don't do very good at, and that is this, to claim this word, to own it, to take it into our life and live by it and say, God has told me this. He's challenged me with this. And so my life is now going to look like this. And when we do that, it changes our Christian walk. It changes our relationship with our spouse. It changes our children. It changes the church and it changes our world. And we how do we get there? How do we get to the place where when the persecution is there, we keep pressing on and we claim victory in Jesus' name? How do we do that? Here it is. Because God always has a provision of something so much better. So here these witnesses are laying in the road and it looks like the game is over. It says in verse 11, but after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and a tremendous fear seized those who were watching them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. So the two prophets went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies stared at them. (laughs) Yeah. There's always something better waiting for, uh, for us on the other side if we will just trust him. Right in the middle when it looked like the game was over, a breath of God breathed into these dead bodies. They stood up to the ground and the whole world is watching via satellite TV, okay? Everybody's watching. They stood up and a cloud came and got them, ushered them into heaven. And, and I'm telling you, if I was one of those, I don't know what restrained them from looking back, you know, and saying, ha, you know you know, but they just, they just went to heaven. They, there's a provision. And I want you to know, no matter what happens in your life, you can trust God with every circumstance and every situation. Because in the end, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if it were not true, I would have told you so. Jesus said, in my house, my father's house, there's many mansions. There's something much, much better than this old broken world. And don't get me wrong. I love life. I love getting to preach. I love this church. I love you. I love my family, my grandchildren, my children. I love them. I I enjoy life. There's something so much better that God has prepared for us. And so here's the challenge for today. Just like those two witnesses have a particular job to do in the future, you have a particular job to do in the now. And it is this. 
to be a witness for the Jesus that you claim as the Lord and Savior of your life. Because there's a whole world out there that don't know about it. And our theme for this year is to, in 2019 is beyond these walls. It's, it's calling our church to a place, man, where we, where we forget about looking at each other and saying, you happy, you happy, you look happy, you look like you're doing good. Look like you got it going on. Yeah, you come to church faithful. Yeah, you got it all packed up. Everything's neat and tidy. Okay? Meanwhile, there's a broken world out there that we forget to look at. And God's saying, church, you, individual, church meaning individual followers of Jesus, it's time. It's time that you color outside the lines. You step into that place of obedience where the power of the Holy Spirit is waiting to give you authority. And, and it's, this, it's, it, it's this easy, okay? I, I, the Lord has allowed me to visit some great churches in the last few weeks, and, and I get to go visit a great one this Thursday just to, just to pick their brains and see what God has done and what the, those steps look like, to move forward and see what God would do. And you know what the common denominator is? The common denominator is that the church body began to get serious about a lost world. It doesn't mean you have to be an evangelist. It doesn't mean you have to go, you stand on the corner with a Bible. If he calls you to do that, do it. But what it means is you have to be intentional with the people you see. Because when I look around in this crowd, it's a wonderful crowd. I love you. You're beautiful. Okay? But I don't see a whole lot of new faces. You know what that says? We're not inviting people to church. We're looking at mostly the same faces every week. You know what that says? We've become about us instead of about what's beyond these walls. And Easter is in April this year, April 21st. And on the 20th, it's going to be a big event here at the church. And I'll tell you more about it next week and how you can get engaged in it. But I, I'm, I'm telling you this, we've, we've, we've lost a month. January is almost over of 2019. And the question is this, were you engaged in the mission that God has placed you here to do? Or did you lose a month focused on everything but what really, really matters? So right now I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we begin the thought of moving into the year in a new way, I want to ask you a simple question. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Have you received his gift? Is he your Savior and your Lord? It's not a, well, I'm not sure. It's something that you can be 100% certain of. Because when he comes into your life, his Holy Spirit comes in and seals you and you know. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm that guy. I'm that girl. I'm that lady. I'm that man that's played games with religion and scratched around on it. I know the stories. I've heard the gospel, but I have never allowed it to penetrate my world. And I feel right now like the God of the universe is inviting me into his presence. What do you do with that? You simply repent, which means agree with God.
God, I know I'm a sinner. And God, I believe you created me. And God, now, for some reason, I'm convinced that you love me. And so, God, I'm going to trust you in that, even though I don't fully understand. I want what Jesus did on a cross 2,000 years ago to be lavished upon my life right now. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want him to be the Lord of my life moving forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free from my old life. Let me experience what abundant life is really all about. I want to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.